Welcome to the Hey Chaplain podcast. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. Hey Chaplain is an officer wellness podcast produced for cops and covers topics like your career, your wellness, and law enforcement culture. On Hey Chaplain, you'll hear from dispatchers and federal agents, sheriffs and U.S. Marshals, as well as the occasional British murder team detective. From the LAPD to Scotland Yard, the guests on Hey Chaplain shared their hard-earned wisdom so that police officers everywhere can survive and thrive. Today you're going to hear part two of my interview with canine handler Ryan Sumner. Ryan is going to share several canine stories, but he's also going to talk about his career path as a canine handler and what it means to know that you've gotten to the point in your career when you have your last dog. And this episode is going to be very useful to you if you want to know more about starting or expanding a canine program in your agency. We're going to talk about costs and how to pay for a canine unit. Ryan is a great advocate for the dogs and their handlers and is passionate about promoting this aspect of policing. So don't miss these great stories. Here's Ryan Sumner. So you did canine for 15 years. You had three dogs in that time. I did. What What was your transition out of it? What was, what, and what did you do next? I kind of made myself a little bit of monopoly over the years. So uh, I've been the regional director over National Police Canine, which a good majority of our handlers in the KC metro area certify with National Police Canine Association. I'm a certifying official for patrol, explosives, narcotics, human concealment, you name it. Um, I was the canine section chair for the Heartland Tactical Officers Association, uh, used to be KCMTOA, Kansas City Metro Tactical Officers Association. I teach in a tactical canine school called SKIDS. I've kind of made myself... Necessary? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I did it out of the, just a love for the job. I like training dogs. Um, I even like training handlers, and handlers are harder than training dogs. <laughs> I like the dynamic of training both of them together and watching mm-hmm. them excel. So I just kind of just fell in love with it, and I did eat, sleep, breathe canine for years. After promoting the sergeant, I knew that this was going to be my last dog. I was told this was going to be my last dog, and I had a good run at it. You know, over the years, my shoulders are getting bad, and it was time. You know, it was time to kind of pass the torch and let a young guy come in and take my position mm-hmm. because I think he'd be busier than I I am. You know, right. and being a supervisor, you have a lot of other responsibilities. It's really hard to handle a dog and take care of all those responsibilities. So when uh, my dog developed cancer, unfortunately, mm. I would still be a canine handler right now if he didn't if he didn't get cancer. But he started getting real lethargic, and he ended up with uh, lymphoma, mm. and he lasted about a month and a half, and then he passed away. Ah. He had a good month and a half; like he was still working the street. He found bad guys. He found drugs. He was yeah. a great dog, um, and he worked up until his last week, um, and then obviously went downhill from there. And um, we had to make the choice to put him to sleep. Um, so transitioning out of canine, I'm still the sergeant over canine, but I'm sergeant over directed patrol, bicycle unit, and animal control okay. unit. And canine's one of my aspects. Uh, my guys are great. Like, I don't need to put my thumb on them. Uh, they have good dogs. I, re- I did their canine academy. I train all of our dogs from the ground up. So you still do the training? I still do the training. Okay. I don't have to train them as much because I got guys that are really dedicated to the position. Mm-hmm. 
And Linux has always had that. I mean, this is something that we, we've always had. But these guys are dedicated position. We've picked the right people. I don't have to go asking them if they're doing their training. I'm reading their training reports. It looks good. The dogs certify. The dogs find bad guys. The fi- dogs find drugs. So I know that they're they're doing what they need to do. So I don't have to like stand over the top of them or anything like that. But I still, if they have questions, which they will sometimes, um, I can answer those questions for them. I'm there for them if they need me. If a department doesn't have a canine position right now, some of these departments are, you know, maybe a lot smaller uh, than here, what we have in the Kansas City Metro, or maybe they used to have it, but they don't now. Uh, how does a department pay for that dog and that training and create that position? Is there, a, is there like a path that someone like you could guide them to, to, to do that? Yeah, I've, I've assisted starting multiple canine units. I can think of a couple off the top of my head, uh, Prairie Village is a newer canine unit. Miami County has a newer canine unit. Uh, Tonganoxie had a newer canine unit. Um, I worked with somebody from uh, Roland Park. Okay. Uh, I can name several. Yeah. But so are, were those easy sells or were those difficult? Are there, what kind of obstacles does someone, does a department find either from the city or within the department itself to having a canine? I think originally when you think about it, like chain of commands, the chiefs, all that, and they don't know anything about canine, it seems really easy. Like, oh, we just have to buy a dog and, <laughs> and we got a canine unit. But a lot of times they don't take into account how much does a canine car cost. Yeah. Right now, a Tahoe's right around fifty grand, mm. and that's just for the vehicle. You got to outfit it with the kennel, which is four thousand. Yeah. The hot and pop system, which is another two thousand. Mm. You know, a box to keep all the handler stuff in, which is another thousand. It gets it can get really pricey. And you got ten thousand dollars for a dog. Yeah, you got vet care. You got training. If you're if you don't have a department trainer, which a small department's not going to, you're going to pay four or five thousand dollars for that training per diem hotel stay where does that money come from i mean that might end the argument right there is like wait we don't have that kind of money it, where it does can. that money come from it can the money's going to come from money that they budgeted for it it's something that you got to plan you don't just go okay. hey let's get a canine unit this year because the city council is going to say absolutely not when they find <laughs> out it's you know 80 to a hundred thousand dollars to start a canine unit right it's something that you plan for different cities have avenues of being able to raise money okay in Johnson County, it's really strict where you, you don't do a gratuity. So we're not going to go out and raise money. We just budget for it. But I will say this. These dogs seize a lot of money every year. Hmm. Narcotics money. They could seize, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 in a year or even more. You go into a bigger department like Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri. They're having, you know, $100,000, $200,000 seizures that these dogs alerted to because mm-hmm. it's been involved with drugs. They seize that money. That goes to a general fund, uh, at least on the Kansas side, and you can use that money to buy dogs. Okay. Okay. So there's at least a possibility, according to the rules of some states, to, for the dog to pay for itself. Absolutely. They almost <laughs> always pay for themselves. I seen a bumper sticker one time on a canine vehicle that said, drug dealers buy our police dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> That's great. How long of a career does a typical canine have? If you're going to buy them at, it used to be we bought them at about two years old. Every dog seemed to be around two years old. You'd work them till about 10 years old. I'd say you're lucky to get 10. I've heard 
of some dogs, like single purpose dogs, where they're just a drug dog going until they're 12. Okay. But I would say you're right around nine or 10. And they're like us. They The senses start to fail. Their eyesight starts to go. Their hearing, their noses. Right. You can tell the difference between a eight-year-old dog and a two-year-old dog when they're doing narcotics training, which dog is younger. The dog, the younger really? dog, just like people. Yeah. You know, they come out, they smell better, they see better, they hear better. All those things are, are good. Now- just like people, you gotta you gotta like the experience side of the experienced dog too, because typically he makes better decisions than the younger dog. Mm. So, right? Do dogs get retired before the end of their lifespan? I mean, and then what happens in that gap? Yeah, typically Leo was obviously kind of a special case because of cancer. But uh, my first dog, Diesel, I worked till he was eight years old, and he started having some some medical issues. And I had him at home till he was ten, and he lost use of his rear legs and stuff like that. So we had to we had to put him to sleep. But um, he lived two years at home, and he lived a good life. He lived most of his life inside the house. Oh, okay. Um, you know, he was like best friends with my wife, so he lived in the kitchen with her most of the time. <laughs> um, wherever she went, he went, and she had some kind of special connection with him. So she took him everywhere around the house, and he just kind of followed is her it, around. Is it reasonable to expect a retired canine to become a family pet, or is that not very common? I think that's reasonable. Okay. Absolutely, okay. yeah. That's not far-fetched. No, that, no. That... They spend, I mean, you could have that dog for eight years at your house, and your kids are running around the backyard. He's constantly seeing that. And if he's... If he's social, which most dogs are, he's running around the backyard with them, playing fetch with them. They'll throw okay. the ball for him. So they they slide into it. There are those few dogs that are more on the aggressive side that they're better working till the end. Right. And they're not happy at home because they're antsy constantly. And right. we pick they're a working dog. Yeah, and yeah. we pick Belgian Malinois a lot, and they're already a nervy dog. <laughs> Um, so they want to work. They want to work. I always felt bad because I had, I have a double kennel. So I'd have a working dog on one side and a retired dog on one. And I'd come in the backyard and the retired dog who still has it in his brain, right? Just like me and my body's failing, but my brain still says I'm 25 years old and I can do what these 25 year old kids can do. This dog's whining and excited. And, and I always felt so guilty of grabbing that new police dog and walking out of the gate yeah. and him just watching me leave with him. I, it's just, I always felt terrible about it. I was like, he wants to go. He wants to go. He just, yeah. you know, he just, his body's not holding up to it anymore. No. He needs to be home. He needs to be relaxing so he could live the next couple of years kind of relaxed and, and with the family as a domestic dog. What's the most impressive thing you ever saw a canine do? I mean, you treat, you train them to do impressive things. I'll, but I'll, but I'll, did one ever just exceed like, oh, wow, I can't believe that dog figured that out. Yeah, I got so many impressive stories of canines. I mean, handlers across the country are going to be able to tell the same story. This is nothing unique, but smelling a bad person from 150, 200 yards away and you noticing it, you know, you're in an open field and you see that dog's nose go up towards the sky and his neck stretch out and you're starting to see his ears perk up and you think you're close and he starts pulling you and starts moving towards the bad guy he stops tracking because he can smell him he is on him he is mm. boom 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 bouncing within the scent cone that most handlers around the country are going to understand um, and then boom 100 150 yards later he finds him i always think that's impressive that they can smell that person from that far away um, impressive call i was on a stolen auto uh, in Bonner Springs before they had a police dog and uh, the suspect had 
broke into a house, kicked the homeowner out of the house, barricaded himself in there. We ended up at the front door um, of the house, sent my first dog, Diesel, in. Diesel goes in. I can see him searching. I stay at the front door and watch him. He goes into his bedroom. I can see inside pretty much the majority of his bedroom, maybe 15 20% of the room I couldn't see. He goes up on top of the bed, and he's up on the wall with his front paws, if you can imagine, standing on the bed. The bed's pushed up against the wall, up high, looking at the ceiling, sniffing, sniffing, sniffing. He's not finding him right away, and I call him back to me. I'm going to call him back, and we'll move in a little bit further and see what happens. I told the guys, I said, hey, he's on odor. The guy's still in there. Um, he's definitely on odor, and that's a common thing with police dogs. They'll go up high on walls and stretch their neck out and put their nose towards the ceiling or the sky. Um, when they start smelling, they're trying to get the, as much scent as they can in. Oh. He comes off the bed. I call him back to me. Diesel in Dutch plots to call him back to me. He starts heading back to me. And he gets about to the door frame, stops, turns around, starts sprinting at the bed, and dives between the mattress and the box spring and grabs a guy by the leg. Um, oh, wow. He had, he had closed himself in between that mattress so the, the and the box spring. So the suspect is sandwiched. Sandwiched. Remember, he was on top of the bed. Oh, wow. Somehow... From the time I called him back, he got that door. He spun around and went between it and got him by the the knee, um, which, you know, um, we were able to move in safely. It's really hard to hurt a police officer with a, you know, 80-pound police dog attached to him. So we were able to go in safely, take care of him, put him in custody, um, get him medical attention, and off to jail afterwards. But that that, that one always has stood out to me, and I've had, you know, well over a hundred apprehensions over the years, and that one for some reason I I still to this day can't figure out. And I train dogs, yeah. How he knew he was between that mattress and that box spring, and he basically told me, "Uh, uh-uh, I'm not coming back to you." Boom, got him. <laughs> Technically, he was disobeying orders, right? One hundred percent. You know what? I'll take that one all day long. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. About, I'd say, five years ago, we got a call of an elderly subject um, having some mental health issues. He was running through the neighborhood and wearing his own underwear only. It was mm. about negative 14 degrees. Oh, my. Um, he was having a breakdown. Um, they got a drone up, and it was actually one of, one of my mentors, uh, now Major Schmitz, uh, out there with the drone. He ran the drone unit. He gives me a call. He's like, hey, you want to come down here and think about getting the dog out and maybe find it? I came down. I talked to his family members. Obviously, they're all distraught, right? I mean, negative 14 and only your underwear. There's a good chance yeah. you're going to end up with hypothermia. Or Around worse. here, coldest day of the year. Yeah. He yeah. was also talking about committing suicide by the elements. Hmm. So he was from another country. He was in town for the birth of his grandchild, and that's why he was there and had some kind of mental breakdown during that during that visit. So they were out walking everywhere looking for him, could not find him. It was also very busy out because school was, uh, kids were going to school. Hmm. And so there was kids at the bus stop. There were kids walking to school, and it just happened to be right where a school, right near where a school is. So I go down there, and I talk to Major Schmitz, he says, hey, do you mind just doing a search? I was like, yeah, I'll get the dog out. I, I got a feeling this is going to be a tough one, though, with all the foot traffic, but I'll give it a shot. I go out there by myself. I take the dog out, run the dog down, and he goes down kind of below 87th Street, and he's pulling real hard, pulling real hard, and then he loses it. I turn around. I come back, pulls real hard, pulls real hard, and loses it. Loses the odor of the human. 
So I go back to where he finds the odor the most strong, and I start giving some announcements. I don't hear anything. And when I get to that spot, now he pulls me down this embankment into the woods. And it's steep. Like I'm having to do everything I can to stay on my feet as he's yanking me down. I get on the radio. I tell everybody, hey, I'm getting a lot of human odor in this area. But I'm also trying to be really careful because of the children. There could be children walking to school. Maybe there's kids messing around in the woods, something, right? So I have to keep them on kind of a short leash and just be real careful. I get down. Now he tries to pull me. This is my second dog, Ram. He tries to pull me into an embankment. It's a concrete culvert that goes under 87th Street. So um, as I'm coming around the corner, he's trying to pull me down. Mind you, that this drop off into this culvert is pure ice because it's negative 14 degrees and there's a little stream of water all the way to the left and that's the only moving water in the whole uh the whole culvert i see him laying down there uh face down in the water does not look like he's breathing i start giving him announcements and he's not he's not he's not recognizing the announcements so i tie the dog to a tree um i slide down the ice it's probably about a maybe a 10 foot drop. I obviously give the officers the information to come find me and start giving guys sternum rub and he kind of comes to his body temp was 88 degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah. He survived. I don't know how, but he survived. Weird things happen with people in cold water. Yeah. And so, yeah, he, he ended up surviving. I mean, obviously he's, he's super hypothermic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we put him on a, had to tie him to a rope to get him up out because of the ice. Nobody could get sure. down there. And then they had to pull me out with a <laughs> rope. Um, the dog's bouncing at the end of the leash, you know, tied to a tree. Uh, me and I consider this a, a, a mutual award for my dog. We got a life-saving award for it. You know, a little mm-hmm. bit different than, you know, finding the bad guy that committed the robbery. The apprehensions. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was a very valuable search and a very good story for me and the dog. Yeah. Yeah, save somebody's life. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, people love people love the dogs. I, yeah. You know, I over the years, it's funny. I especially as long as I've been in canine, as many you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of canine demonstrations, and I have people all the time come up to me and they're like, "Hey, do you guys still have that dog Diesel?" Everybody loved Diesel because he had tiger stripes. He was kind of just a really neat looking dog. Um, and he was impressive to watch during demonstrations and bite work. And he was, he is aggressive as he was, he was very obedient, but people always ask, Hey, do you guys still have that dog diesel? Don't even recognize me at all. They don't realize the guy that's standing, holding the leash, you know, they remember the dogs, but they never remember us. And we get a lot of support from the the celebrities. We get a lot of support from the media. I mean, really nobody bad mouths. The dogs, you right, know, I know right. police. I know the national narrative right now and police and whatnot, but the dogs always get. Um, it's some good PR, frankly. It, it is. Yeah, it's really good PR. I mean, all the canine demonstrations, the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts, yeah, schools, uh, and all that else. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great PR. I mean, they use us as yeah. good PR, and I think it's a great idea. I mean, why not showcase these dogs that not only you spent a bunch of money on, but you know they help the community. I know that you told me earlier that. A lot of canines are bought from Europe, but are there, is, is it just only certain breeds that can really be an effective canine or can you train any breed of dog? No, you can't train any breed of dog. A Labrador is not going to make a good, you know, criminal apprehension dog. Labs can track. Labs are great detection dogs. You know, there's definitely purposes for these dogs, but your herding dogs typically make really good dual purpose 
type dogs, your okay. criminal apprehension dogs, the shepherds, the Malinois. Okay. Um, what about like the tracking dogs? I mean, in the movies, you always like see the blood old hounds. bloodhounds, right? Is that still a thing? Is that? One, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of departments have. I wouldn't say a lot of departments. Departments still have bloodhounds. I just worked with a department up in North Dakota, and their state patrol brought a bloodhound out, and it was impressive. Okay. The uh, bloodhound, you know, when they track people, they can pull in human odor and specific scents. Um, when they find people, they'll lick them to death. Yes. Yeah. They're impressive. That's for sure. Okay. Have I seen beagles at like airports and stuff? Is that a breed that gets used nowadays? Yes. Uh, Customs works a lot of be- a lot of, with beagles. Okay. Because um, they're following. They're a, they're scent oriented. Yeah. I dogs can smell just about anything. I mean, beagles are really big with uh, bed bugs. Really? So, oh, yeah. Hotels, um, hire companies. Um, there's a local company around here that does it where they take beagles and they use them as bed bug dogs and they can smell bed out bug bed detectors. Bug. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Dogs are amazing. I mean, yeah. you got diabetes, dogs that I've can sense diabetes. And yes. Yeah. D- dogs are amazing. I mean, everything they do is, is amazing. I mean, obviously, like I said before, I'm biased to it, but right. I mean, really, I mean, you can't really argue the importance of having these dogs for a hundred different reasons, right? Yeah. Not to mention just your domestic dog and coming home from a hard day of work. And right. They're, you know, they're just looking at you with hard eyes. I yeah. mean, they make yeah. you feel good. You know, yeah. it's like, your oh, that's comf- departments are getting comfort dogs. I, I yeah. personally selected one for Lenexa and it is a fact that a just petting a dog will lower your blood pressure. Yeah, um, we had some victims the other day. Without going into great detail, um, it had to do with trafficking, and we brought our comfort dog Lexi, and mm. and you could tell this girl was very upset, and Lexi was acting different than she normally acts. She was cuddling up to her, rolling on her back, and just on top of her. And afterwards, the female um, that w- that we were dealing with that had been trafficked made comment to it how it made it made her feel better and she could tell that the dog could sense that she was upset and you know i mean it's just there's just so many reasons to have dogs you know it's i feel like it shouldn't be a hard sales pitch to police departments on why to get dogs um but i get it they're expensive you know there's ongoing costs and stuff like that man the people have to make decisions there's politics involved you never know what they might have to what pressures they're getting yes and we're a custodian for the taxpayers money so i get it but i think it's an easy sale to the taxpayers as well why you should have police dogs ryan what's your best elevator pitch to someone maybe that's a commander a chief a sheriff who's resistant to having a canine what's your best elevator pitch like this is why we need to have a police dog yeah, these dogs keep people alive. They will keep your officers alive. They will keep your citizens safe. Take the detection side out of it. And yeah, I mean, that's great that they're going to get narcotics off the street. You know, if you have an explosive dog, obviously they're going to keep people safe too. But we got to think about our citizens and we got to think about our officers and we got to make them a priority. When you're looking at the priority of lives, citizens are at the top, right? So, and officers are right below that. So what we want to do is... You know, these police dogs are going to search around every dark corner before we put an officer there. You know, I'd much rather call my wife and say that my police dog was killed than call somebody else's wife and say, hey, your husband was killed because he's the one that has to go around that dark corner for that armed subject. We work these dogs on the end of 15 and 30 foot leashes, so they're going to go around those turns first. These dogs absolutely risk their lives for us. 
They risk their lives for our citizens. I know they're expensive. They're the best tool a police department could have by far. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My one big issue with canine units, from a chaplain's point of view, is that there are so many officers who would have wanted to do the job who will never get a chance to try it. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't have several other jobs in law enforcement that they find enjoyable or fulfilling, but like the SWAT team or the homicide detective, there will probably be more cops interested in the job than positions actually available. So, as I've said before, always show interest and volunteer to be involved in whatever way that you can. Maybe you'll get lucky. But I'd also suggest that you talk about your career options at length with people that you trust. Ask for their input on what they think that you'd be good at. And don't be afraid to try something. Uh, Try a special assignment or a task force. You might discover a role or a group of coworkers that would mean the world to you. I also want to give a big thank you to our favorite surfing police officer, Rob Sanderson from Swell. He recommended and introduced Ryan Sumner to me. Recommendations like this are crucial to Hey Chaplin, and I need all of you to help me identify the really great people in law enforcement who have great wisdom to share. If you'd like to reach out to me, my email is in the show notes, and you can find Hey Chaplin on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On the next episode of Hey Chaplin. It does help. Yeah. It, it, when people are looking for chemistry, they're looking for a good fit that, that can help. When you, when you have yeah. people who are other, otherwise equal. Yeah. And so it certainly helped. But that that took me from, from there to uh, lieutenant, up to captain, assistant chief, and eventually chief. Uh, but I tell people all the time, that was a job I did not want to do because it's grueling. The public information job here in Los Angeles County for the Highway Patrol is 24-7. But my goodness, did it pay off and paid off not only for me, but for my family. If you like this episode, please share it with a cop or someone who loves a cop. The views expressed here are the personal views of the host and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. Thank you for listening to Hey Chaplain. And as always, pray for peace in our city.